Well, I agree with Mike uh, Calkins that, A, Lord willing, we do hope and plan to keep sending people in conjunction with Many Hands for Haiti. So we've, we've sent teams down to Haiti. The government situation makes that not possible now, but, but in Abaco, uh, Many Hands for Haiti has set up a ministry, and that's where Haitian refugees are. And so that's the kind of ministry that will happen out of that facility that they were they were working on, and we, we plan to keep going. And, and when we go in the name of Jesus, we go to bless, we go to serve, we go to speak his name. And when we go with that kind of intentionality to a place like that, to a place that's very different uh, from our normal experience, we do bring a blessing, but what is consistently said is we are changed. Those of us who go, we get changed there as we come back. And so we will go next year. That is our hope. That is our plan. And would you start praying now on whether or not you should go? Uh, that, I think, you might be surprised. You might not, never even consider that you would really go, but maybe God will put on some of your hearts that you should go. We are in a series on Acts about going, watching people who are going in the name of Jesus, going to bring the name of Jesus uh, to places where people haven't heard of it, and then establishing it there so that they can continue to grow, that the Lord would continue to add uh, to their number. And the last two weeks, we've talked about uh, what God did through Paul and others in Ephesus, which is found in modern-day Turkey. Um, and we, we looked at a couple weeks ago with a very small group of people, what did he do with 12 people? And then last week, based on 12 people and a few more people and meeting together every day, eventually an entire region, like big, huge region of people, heard the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And what I'm going to pick up in the story is that it just said, so then from there, Paul is making plans to go to Jerusalem. And he's, he's taking a certain path, and when we end this part, we'll get back to it. It's like it picks back up that he's on his way. But there's this little aside of, as a result of an entire region hearing the word of the Lord and many people responding to the word of the Lord and becoming Jesus' followers, things happen. And that's the little story that we're going to pick up now, Acts 19, starting with verse 23. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, along with the workers in related trades, and said, You know, my friends, that we have received a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. 
The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of them, most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are pro-councils. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened to today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. Because some of the Jews had plotted against him just as he was about to sail for Syria, he had decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus, from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. This is where we're going to stop. This is the reading of God's word. And so Paul, uh, he's, he's on the go, but he has stayed for a significant time in Ephesus, and there have been great results. And then there is this disturbance that happens in a whole city. Let me, let's go back to verse 24. I just want to read a few verses to get to what, what happened. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. Okay? The, there is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. And when they heard this, they were furious and began the shouting chant. And eventually the whole city comes. Now, what is going on there? Ephesus is a major city of the Roman Empire time. And so, of this Roman Empire, which is the biggest empire at this time, it is one of the most important cities in that world. And it has, if we can bring up a picture, it has this temple of Artemis, which is one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It is... It was up high in a mountain. It was like something that came from the clouds. There actually was a first temple, and it was ruined by a flood. And then 100 years later, they rebuilt the temple, and then it was burned down in fire. And then when they, when they um, remade it, it took 120 years to build the temple. 120. So people started the temple and didn't ever see it ended. People weren't born when the temple started and worked on it, and still didn't see it ended. It was incredible. 
And some ancient uh, accounts that we have are people like, I have seen the gardens of Babylon. I have seen this, but this, this is unbelievable. So it's, it's impressive. And Ephesus has that as sort of its symbolic center. Now, Ephesus also had a huge library. It was an education center. It had all art around all of this, and it, it was kind of a fashion place. They literally had a, a design or a contest once a year for the design for what would go around Artemis. It had all these things going for it, and then a few people start talking about Jesus, and they start committing their lives to Jesus. And they start seeing things differently because of Jesus and what he teaches. And over the course of a couple years, we get to where there is a riot on the street. Now, how does that happen when they're just talking about Jesus? Well, it, I thought that Demetrius's arguments were interesting. One argument makes a lot of sense to me. So, let's say some of us we start saying, you know what? Race car t-shirts is idolatry. You cannot buy race car t-shirts. And it spreads. No, no race, race car t-shirts we shouldn't buy. And so enough people are convinced that this is true, that they stop buying race car t-shirts. And enough people do that in this whole region that, that the world of outlaws comes and they say, we aren't coming here anymore. T-shirts is how we make a lot of money. We're, gonna, we're, we're stopping this. How much would Knoxville be impacted if we didn't have nationals? And some people would be thinking of that just like purely from like an economic standpoint, like we make money from nationals. Other people would be like, we love watching racing, and now we can't do that. And other people would be like, they're not that connected, but they get to connect with family and people. There's a relational. But all those streams would align to say like, hey, we got to stop the people who are overdoing it by saying that nationals and t-shirts is bad. Which, by the way, I bought a race t-shirt this time. But, I mean, it was uh, McKenna Hassey and it had Acts 20, 24. So it's like Christian t-shirt, right? <laughs> and it wasn't for me. It was for my daughter. Anyway... Wouldn't fit me. All right. So there is something that could be part of the economics. He also talks about the reputation. We, our reputation, our identity is in this thing. And so that has a compelling component to it. And he says, as if it's a crazy thought, they're teaching that Gods made by human hands are no gods at all. Now, the Bible makes fun of this. In Isaiah chapter 44, it talks about how a person takes a piece of wood, an idol maker, and he takes a piece of wood, and he takes half of that, that wood from that tree, and he carves an idol for it, and he worships it. He takes the other half of the wood, and he throws it into a fire, and he warms himself with it. And we can look at that and be like, that is stupid. That's stupid, that you would take a piece of wood and think, this will be my God, when you made it, and it goes into fire. However, while we might be able to see worshiping statues as like, that's dumb, 
We worship created things rather than the creator all the time. And when we ascribe worth to something more than God, then we also, I believe, invite in spiritual forces. And I'm going to get to that in a little bit. Let's go on. There is what I want to point out from this is that there is pressure that comes. And the pressure that comes is don't follow Jesus all the way. Don't take it too seriously. Don't put him, make him too important compared to the other things that we know are really important. And there is pressure to keep us from really completely following Jesus. There's pressure. So how is there a response to the pressure? Verse 28 again, when they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. Now, Paul, he sees everything as an opportunity to talk about Jesus. These people are really upset. They must not know Jesus. This is a great time for me to tell them about Jesus. I mean, man, he is passionate about it. And so he wants to go up there. This, this is not going to turn out for him, well for him. And that's why people are like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. And he's like, no, I, am, I want to do it. They're like, you will get torn apart. This is irrational. It'll go on to say, like, they don't even know why they're here. They're just shouting for two hours. They are stirred up. Don't go. They aren't going to listen to you anyway. That was probably wise advice. The thing about Paul is that he'd be willing to do that, even if he'd be torn to shreds, in case some people might be saved. That was his personality. He, we, he had already been arrested and beaten multiple times by this point in his life. For Jesus, but he would go all the way. But what I noticed was that there's these two companions, Gaius and Aristarchus, that get mentioned a little bit later in what we read. When, when all this dies down and Paul leaves, we see that there's this group of people. Acts 20, verse 4, he was accompanied by Sopatar, son of Pyrrhus, from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius and from Derby, Timothy also, who's from Lystra, and Tychus and Trophimus, I think, from the province of Asia. They're, they're from Ephesus. He's got these people who he's traveling with, who also care about Jesus, who are traveling with him because they want people to know Jesus and be connected to the living God. And even though Paul is this remarkable human being, we constantly see he is with somebody. There is one um, exception, and that's when he's in, uh, where was he, Allie? You taught on it. Where is Allie? Oh, my goodness. Athens. He was in Athens, and then he said, um, please come quickly. Like, it's not good to try to do the following Jesus thing on your own. We want to do it with other people because there is pressure, and that pressure will pull us away from Jesus. And here's a pressure that's going to harm Paul. And he's got people who are like, you know what, Paul? Appreciate your zealousness. We got another way this time. 
We're going we're gonna to have it, and actually someone else is going to step in this time. Because we're going and we're traveling together. And one of the things I take from this is that if we are going to follow Jesus, we need to travel with others because the pressure is going to come that says, nah, you don't follow Jesus. There's going to be pressure. There's going to be pressure just in making it in life. Sometimes it's hard to make it in life. We need to travel with others. Paul, who seems to be like, the highest level of following Jesus, example, constantly traveling with others and from all over the place. I mean, this is from Greece. This is from Ephesus. This is from, they're going to go to Jerusalem. They're all kinds of people. They're together for a while, and then it's other people. I'm learning that we have uh, summer birds, you know, like snowbirds go south. We have these people, that's all I can think of, that come and live here because it's too hot down south during the summer. I've met multiple ones this week. They said, we come live here for a few months. And some of them said, like, we're so grateful that we have a place to worship, a community to worship in. So we, we go, and we're not always together with the same people, but we need to go with people because there is pressure to not follow Jesus coming from all sorts of sources. Now, going back up, verses 1 through 3, when the uproar of chapter 20, when the uproar had ended, Paul sent for his disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye and sent out for Macedonia. He traveled through the area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived at Greece. I, I was, I'll stop there. I, I talked about this word the very first sermon of the series back in June, this word encouragement, parakaleo. Parakaleo, to come closely, to come alongside, para, and to call, kaleo. It's, it, and that is the word of encouragement. It's not just rah-rah. It's not just feel better. It's, it is to come closely, and it is in intensity. Persuade sometimes. Compel, it's translated sometimes. Comfort, we're going to see, is translated in a, in, a, in a couple weeks. It is this word that it's just like, I am with you. I am coming alongside you, but Paul was constantly encouraging them in their faith in Jesus to put their confidence in the living God, to trust him. And it's with an intensity persuading him. This is worth it. You can do it. It is real. Do you have anyone who's coming alongside you in your faith that does that? Do you come alongside anyone in their faith and do that? Like, we, just, just to hang in there. So in one sense, we travel with others because there's pressure and we don't want to get pulled away from, from Jesus. But in another sense, we travel with others because it's helpful to have others to encourage. So Paul had these people who could encourage him and then he was able to go all over the place and encourage others. Nobody just is like, well, they're the person who doesn't need encouragement. They're the person who's got it. They're the encourager. I'm one of these people who's like, just needs encouragement. Or I'm one of these people who doesn't. No, we, both, we need both ways. And that's why we travel together. Who is traveling with you in life? Now, that I've got through the passage... I just want to take some thoughts 
from the last few weeks where they're talking about Ephesus and from the book of Ephesians itself. Because there is, there is something to understand, this idea of how we travel together and who we're traveling with and how intentional we are about traveling with each other and encouraging each other in their faith. There's something about knowing the, the landscape that's happening in Ephesus. It is a very spiritual landscape, and that is front and center in all of this. So, in the book of Ephesus, or the book of Ephesians that we have in the Bible, the letter written to the, the believers in Ephesus, I mean, right away, it starts out, you know, praise be to God, the Father of Jesus Christ, who has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. We have access to all kinds of spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms if we know Jesus. Spiritual blessings, what are those? Well, it goes on to talk about a lot of it. But right from the get-go, what I want, the point I want to make is it talks about there is good uh, spiritual resources, if you will, a connection, if you will, available to those who are found in Jesus. It is there. Good stuff in the invisible realm, but it's real. At the end of Ephesians, it says, you know, do everything you can to stand. You better put on the full armor of God so you can stand against the devil's schemes. Because our, our fighting, our wrestling is not against people. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers and authorities in this world and the evil forces of the spiritual realm. So there is this understanding that Paul has that we have resources that are from God, that connect us to God, that prepare a way for us to have even more of a blessing in our future coming into eternal life. There are all these resources available to us through Jesus, and there are spiritual beings, entities that are actively trying to destroy us, that they're, they're trying to keep us away from God because they know us away from God, us isolated, is bad for us. Now and into humanity. And so if, if taking good things, if taking good things and making them become the biggest thing in our life, if that will keep us away from God, then it'll do that. So let's just review what we talked about. Acts chapter 19 starts. Paul meets 12 people in Ephesus. These disciples have heard about Jesus. They've repented, they, but they were baptized in John, just a baptism of repentance. He explains further, like, well, have you received the Holy Spirit? And, well, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. Then he talks more about Jesus. They're baptized into Jesus. They say yes to Jesus. And so now the Holy Spirit is released in their life. He prays for them, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they prophesy, and they speak in tongues. They have like a real spiritual encounter coming, and they are filled with power. And these are the 12 people that when Paul goes to the synagogue, and after a few weeks of trying to talk to them, they're like, get out of here. They go with him to this other place, and they meet every single day. And the word of the Lord spreads through the whole region in two years. And the word of the Lord spreads widely and grows in power from people who had spiritual resources from the Holy Spirit. There are miracles that happen. Crazy miracles. People just take handkerchiefs that Paul has touched and other people are healed because there's so much spiritual power from God. And this is in the Bible. 
Conversely, we also hear that there are demons and evil spirits at work. And that some people who try to have the right formula and say the right things try to cast out demons, try to use the name of Jesus, but don't actually have a relationship with Jesus. And one person with a demon beatens and bloodies and strips naked seven people. Because there's that much evil power. And that shows the goal of the evil side, which is to hurt us and harm us and destroy us and have us destroy each other. And people hear about this, and all of a sudden, they can see, whoa, this stuff's real. Because they've been worshiping things. They've been doing sorcerer things. They've been, you know, trying to tap into spiritual energy things, but not to Jesus. And they come and they start burning stuff that has evil written in it. This isn't a game. They aren't playing because they realize this is real. So based on all of that, what if the things that we do and say invite in good spiritual resources, good spiritual relationship, or evil? And maybe certain actions and practices will do more We'll do that with more intensity than others. So music will tend to open up something for the spiritual realm to come in. Now, I'm not saying we can only do Christian music. I mean, I listen to Weird Al Yankovic because he's a great artist. Not a Christian artist, but he's just brilliant. Thank you. Man, you could really distract me because I got Yoda going through my... Anyway, I'm cutting it off right there. I'm coming back to the Lord. So I'm not saying like nothing, let's do only Christian thing, we'll only eat at Chick-fil-A. I'm not saying anything like that. What I'm saying though is we think what we do, what we say, what we sing is, doesn't, is just like, well, it's not a big deal. But that is not what the Bible says. What we say creates life or death. When we worship with our chanting, with our singing, with our yelling, with our sacrificing our time and sacrificing our money, we can do that for many good things, and it's okay, but what happens is we can get carried away. We can think, oh yeah, I know that God's most important, but I love this but then just keep giving ourselves to it and giving ourselves to it and giving ourselves to it. And then when we're doing that with lots of other people, then we are inviting something in and you can feel the, the spiritual reality in the atmospheres. I have been to the rock concerts. I have been to the football games. I have been to the shopping centers. If you have eyes to see, there is a real thing happening. And there is something that is just motivating us, moving us to say, will we be all in for Jesus, or are we going to be carried away into something else? Again, good things. Artemis was the goddess of hunting. Now, people can go hunting. We're going to be coming towards hunting. There might be hunters in here. You know, once we get to hunting season, then it's not a good time to talk about hunting. They're not here. But you can do hunting 
And you can be out in creation and you can recognize God and being in creation can help you recognize God. Or you can become so obsessed with hunting that your priorities get mixed around. And that could affect your family that could affect, if it keeps building. So with anything, anything that can happen, we want to receive from God the good gifts he's given us. We just want to make sure we keep the order correct so that God stays God because it matters. So if I get called to be connected with a person this week who tried to take their life, taking too many pills because they were ridiculed online, this is evil happening in our midst. Do we have the spiritual resources to drive out evil, to bring love and goodness and grace? That's what I'm longing for. What I'm speaking about isn't that we would become legalistic, you know, super like scared about everything could be. No, but I think there is so much God wants to pour out if we will invite him in. Revelation chapter 3, when Jesus is talking to a church that is lukewarm. It's not anti-God. It's not anti-God. But it's not fired up for God either. And it says, Jesus says, I am standing at the door and I am knocking. Whoever will listen to me and open the door, I will come in and I will eat with them. There will be fellowship with each other. Do we invite him in? Do we want to receive the Holy Spirit? That's the question that's before us in the decisions we make. I have the worship team come up. One other. Oh, you know, we are coming to a time where it's just some things are shifting because. For some of us, school years still impact our schedules and such. So we may be coming off that we like races, we may be about to enter state fair, but then a lot of fair stuff will finally be coming to an end. Or not finally, I mean, some people think this is the greatest ever, but there's a chance for a shift, I guess is what I want to say. As, we, as summer starts, as you start thinking about summer is coming towards an end, can you also think about who will I be traveling with in these next months? You know, some people get energized, invite God's resources in when they are serving, like going on a trip to Apico. I've, I've upper room nights at seven worship. That is a place where I just feel like we are saying, come on in, God. And, and then it's like, he does. I met with a group of guys that wanted to get together for eight weeks, about eight or nine of us. And we encourage one another in actually getting in the Bible, in actually praying on our own. And then at the end of those eight weeks, it was like, How's this, this has impacted my family. This has impacted my marriage. This has impacted me at work. Who are you traveling with? Are you traveling with people who want Jesus, who will help you stay close to Jesus? who will help you go to the places you go where they don't know Jesus and speak his name and be a good light to them.
Who are you traveling with? And what kind of traveling companion are you? Let's think about that for a little bit before we go into our closing song. Thank you for what you've done, Jesus, that you have made a way that every blessing can be given to us if we will say yes to you. Through your death, through your resurrection, through your life, through you, Holy Spirit, we can become connected to you and eternal life and We invite that or we renew that this morning. I thank you that your name is above every other name and that we can send away evil in that name. And so we do that this morning. With spirits of accusation, condemnation, go in the name of Jesus. Spirits of anxiety, worthlessness go in the name of Jesus. Spirits of addiction and idolatry go in the name of Jesus. We pledge our allegiance to Jesus. Thank you that you not only remove what's not good, but you bring in what's good. So Would you fill us all with your Holy Spirit? Even as we're singing this last song, would you fill and refill and fill with you? We want you. We want the things that you say are best for us to have and that you want to give us. And so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And our light and momentary troubles will achieve for us a glory that far outweighs them all. We fix our eyes on Jesus, on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. And I thank you that others have come together, that this group has come together so we can encourage each other to keep our eyes fixed on you, Jesus. Would that happen this morning? Would it continue as we leave this place? It's in your name we pray. Amen.